The Ordinary Folk Podcast is a project that highlights the fortitude of common, everyday people through storytelling. This is a collection of stories that showcases silent human resilience, heartbreak, and triumph. You can follow this podcast at Ordinary Folk Podcast on Instagram, and you can be a part of this project by reaching out to me at ordinaryfolkpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is a 30-year-old mother of one and business professional who is a devout Jehovah's Witness her entire life. Over a year ago, she was exposed to the realities of her faith and has since left the church. Welcome to the podcast, Megan Williams. Thank you. Uh, So yeah, I want to start this interview by having you talk about your childhood, which is something I do in all my interviews, Mm -hmm. but your childhood is particularly interesting because that was really the forming of your devotion to the faith. So can you kind of talk to me a little bit about what your childhood was like under that? Well, being raised uh, as a Jehovah's Witness, well, let's call it JW, when you're mm-hmm. raised a JW, you don't really have a choice. It's just part of your life. It's several days a week of going to the meetings and going out and preaching. It's, you know, praying before you eat and it affects every aspect of your life. I don't want, I don't know that it really was my childhood because I don't really know any different, but it was just how I grew up. I was curious to know if there was any divide between boys and girls, you know, within the religion. Um, well, it's definitely like a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the women are there to serve the men in every aspect. The women do not take a position of authority in teaching in the church. They will give demonstrations, but they will never stand up and give a talk themselves. They're not allowed to lead in prayer. They are there to, you know, assist in cleaning and providing luncheons when there's the occasion for it or taking care of the children so the men can take charge and everything else. And with boys and girls, yes and no. I mean, so the lesser as you're younger, but when you get older, it's definitely there's a division um, into what as to what you can and cannot take part in in the in the church. But they they definitely do apply the scriptures that talk about headship and the head of the wife is the man, the husband, the man, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of him is Christ. So did you actually observe that in your nuclear family? To some extent, my parents were divorced when I was quite young, and my mother remarried when I was nine. To another Jehovah's Witness. To another Jehovah's Witness, yes. And he definitely was very much, I'm the head of the household, and everything had to defer to him, even when it came to things that weren't his children's. There was a bit of a divide in that respect. But I definitely did experience that in my day-to-day life. Everything was up to my stepfather. Yeah, but to me, it was not, I didn't care. Like, it was no different than, it was normal. Hmm. And so when I grew up and I got married, I have a very strong personality, but I naturally deferred to my husband for everything. And and he was a very mild personality. Mm. And so for me, it was really, it was also really hard because people looked down on us when, you know, I took charge and he just kind of went with it. And so, I mean, it went against my, my nature to defer to the man. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. So So when you were growing up then, I'm getting the sense that you didn't really notice anything was off. You were like, this is totally normal. It was totally normal. And, but then in elementary school, I'm curious because didn't you in conversation with other students realize that their home lives were quite different than yours? Different. And I would say that Jehovah's Witnesses have a superiority complex as most religions do. They all think theirs is the best and the right way to live. So for me, it was more that I was taught that what I was doing was right and what everyone else was doing was wrong. And that creates judgmental people, hugely judgmental people. I was taught that 
you know, celebrating the holidays was wrong. And the kids that had a birthday party, well, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun, getting presents and cake, but you know, they shouldn't be doing oh, that. Oh, okay. So there was never any need for social connection with people outside of never. your religion. Oh, never. okay. And I went most of my adolescent life without any friends in school. I had one friend in elementary school, a handful of people that I would hang out with at lunch in high school. But aside from that, I had no friends. It didn't bother me at the time. Wow. I just went to school. Yeah. I did my work. I came home. But it was hard to find friends within the church as well because people were very superficial and everyone's friends with everybody. So it was really hard. You didn't ever get like a bestie. There was no so real did connection. did you have a feeling of loneliness as definitely. a child? Yeah. Okay. Even though, you know, you get included in things, but I was, I definitely was bullied in school for being a, a witness. You know, you don't sing the anthem. You're not even supposed to stand for the anthem. So you sit and everyone sees you. You don't, you don't get to stay for Christmas or Valentine's or Halloween parties or anything like that. You get taken out in school halfway, half three through the day. So you don't get to go to the party. You don't get to color the Christmas sheets. You don't get to play part of the Christmas concert. Like all those things you get taken out of. And oh even certain God. parts of the curriculum, like I want to say there was one time they were talking about evolution and JWs do not believe in evolution. They're very much a creationism based faith. My mom actually signed a waiver that I wasn't allowed to learn about evolution. Wow. And so now I realize simply how much of my life was controlled by the faith, even to that extent, where even like sex ed in grade seven, my mom took me out of that too. Uh, Super controlling. I I was under the impression that there was, like you guys don't like uh, celebrate religion or sorry, uh, holidays and things like that, but I didn't think it was like so stringent that every little thing had to be plucked And they don't even want you learning about it. These things, aren't they required though? Like sex ed, I imagine is is mandatory because that grade seven sex ed class is more about like identifying aggression. and yeah. And anatomy, and like, we'll get into this later, but why do you think that there's such a problem with children being abused? Yeah. Because they're completely ignorant and you don't know anything about your body. Was there ever a moment that another student sort of enlightened you to something that was very much in the black? Like if they said something about maybe Jehovah's Witnesses that they'd heard from their parents or something that they'd seen on TV that sort of stirred a curiosity in you? No, there wasn't. And I'll say why was, it probably was. Mm. But nothing that I remember because you are taught that anything people hear secularly, anything they hear on the news that's negative press, anything they you they read online or read in anywhere that is not exactly what the JWs say the way it is, or it's negative about the JWs, they tell you that it's from Satan and you're not to listen to it. And it is mind control. I mean, they control what's going in. They control the way you think about it. You are taught how to, when you hear something, say you would see something in the news uh, or you'd read a newspaper article or somebody would say something, oh, this, you know, this happened to my friend and they're a JW. And you were taught, you were taught to um, just completely disqualified immediately without even thinking about it. Don't even think about it. Just push it out of your mind and know that anything like that, that's going to bring reproach on Jehovah's name or on the on the Watchtower Society, which is their organ. They've got multiple names, so that's their organization's name. That's from the devil. It's a tool from the devil. It's a tool of Satan used against God's true religion. Mm-hmm. And then they'll launch into some scripture as to why that is oh, okay. the case. I don't remember there being anything like that. There probably were. And I'd go home and talk to my mom about it and she'd deal with it and be done. And I wouldn't think twice about it because... Even into my adult life, there were definitely things that occurred that to me did not feel right, didn't sit well with me. But I was like, oh, it's okay. It'll get figured out in the end. God, God will clear that up. I'm not worried about it because I know this is the truth. And that was that. That's always what they were trying 
remind you of this is the truth. This mm-hmm. is the truth. On like, let's say a weekly basis, mm-hmm. how involved were you with the church? Was it weekly meetings or just on the weekends? Uh, no. When I was a kid, we had a Bible study in a smaller group uh, in someone's home. Generally, we we'd studied a book. That was an hour. And then we would have a week, another weekday meeting. So it was like a Tuesday and a Thursday. And so Thursday was the um, the meeting in the church with the big with a group of the whole congregation and it was an hour 45 minutes it was 7 30 until like 9 15 so it was a late night for kids kids are always falling asleep they're always cranky it was a long day long wow. day for kids and that other one in the week was also an hour of 7 30 so yeah um it took up definitely two weekday evenings and then saturday mornings you're expected to be out preaching at the very least saturday mornings always at least once a week even as a child even as a child oh, kids okay. go out too yeah i'm curious how come there isn't or maybe there is entire elementary schools or high schools just for they're not i actually don't know why um they do they have courses teaching programs for adults but um because that would probably, probably be a ideal. money thing yeah yeah it would be but i think it also there's a lot of restriction as to why setting up a religious school and i know actually part of it is that Catholic school is a Catholic school, but they cannot exclude someone who's not a good Catholic. And the JWs would not just allow anyone to attend mm-hmm. their schools. Oh, it okay. would be extremely a private and elite group of people. It would not just because you live next door, you can't attend the school. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, probably because it would exclude a lot of people and probably bring them a lot of headaches and probably lawsuits. That's probably why they don't do it. Yeah. I know that they really encourage homeschooling and there are definitely programs for JWs who homeschool their kids, unofficial from the watch but from people that put it together, it's a big, big thing for JWs. And especially in Lower Mainland too, lots of kids are homeschooled to keep them. How come them. you guys weren't homeschooled then? I had a, a really, really strong personality. I think my mom knew she couldn't do it. <laughs> it would probably be a battle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And my siblings, I don't know, there was too many of us probably. So would you say that elementary and high school was a conflicting time for you because of the fact that you had this you know, life as a Jehovah's Witness, but then you're attending day to day, very secular schools, Canadian um, schools, right? Maybe for most JWs it would have been, but for me, because I, I had a, always had a very clear sense of right and wrong. There was no gray for me. Everything was black or white. And so for me, I knew in my mind, I thought I knew the right and the wrong. And I didn't care what other people thought about me, whether they thought it was crazy or weird or whatever. I didn't care. I knew what I did, what I knew to be right at the time. And I didn't do what I knew to be wrong. And that was it. And I didn't care about the rest. I was not your average JW. I know that there are many others that would probably say that it was very conflicting for them and that it was very hard for them. I know my siblings will tell you that, but for me, it wasn't because, I mean, it was lonely, very lonely, but conflicting, no, because I, in my mind, knew what was right the right mm-hmm. way to do things. And I didn't, I didn't let the problem that anything get in my way. Did you ever, um, cause I'm thinking back to my own elementary mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. experiences, have like a crush on a kid? Oh, yeah. of course. I think part of that, I definitely did, but yeah. they never knew it. I think part of that also comes from having really low self-esteem. Uh, and that is a whole other topic to talk about. <laughs> I never would have told the boys that I liked them. <laughs> There was like the occasional one, but yeah. I never, I never thought they'd want me. So I never pursued it. In high school, I had like a little boyfriend, but after my friend from the hall, the congregation found out I had to end it because I didn't want my mom to find out. Um, and I'm also wondering, because children are often very critical thinkers. They're always asking why or, you know, how come? So was there ever a period of time when you were younger mm-hmm. um, that you were questioning your mom or maybe your dad or, well, or, or somebody else? One thing that I never was satisfied with the answer on 
was birthdays. Because to me, I understand Christmas, okay? Because Christmas, they say, is about Jesus' birthday, okay? And now any secular historian will tell you Jesus was not born in December. That's a scientific fact. You know, shepherds have not been out in the fields at that time of year. Okay, that's fine. Like, I get that. Halloween is the day celebrating the devil. I get that. Easter, celebrating, you know, with the pagan symbols of the egg and the bunny and all that stuff. Like I get that. That all made, see, that all made sense to me. Those satisfied my curiosities, but birthdays never did because to me, there was no reason why you couldn't celebrate birthdays. And the only reason they tell you, you cannot celebrate birthdays is because first of all, there were two examples in the Bible where birthday celebrations occurred and uh, bad things happened. For example, there was uh, the birthday in the Bible where John the baptizer was decapitated and his head brought on a platter. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the other one. I don't remember. Um, and then the other thing they say is that it, it gives you an inflated sense of self celebrating yourself on one day. So did Um, you mark your birthday at all in any way? Maybe mm, even just personally? My mom would always say, Oh, I remember how many years ago on this day, laying in the hospital, having you, et cetera, et cetera. My dad was not a JW. Um, so so your, your biological father, my biological father's not one. How did that happen then? How did she so even get with him? They were married. He was one. He came, he he converted at a, as a teenager, married my mother, and then they divorced when I was five. And then he left and never went back. He, and he never, he didn't celebrate the holidays with us either. I mean, he, or birthdays. He would, we would we were never there at Christmas. We were rarely there on our birthday. He'd give us something small. He didn't want to make it a thing, but he, and he'd always give us a card. And I still have them all. He, yeah, he'd always give us a card. And if, for him, it was special. Birthdays and Christmas were special to him because that was his fond memories from being a child. But yeah, he did commemorate it. My mom, I remember one time, you know, if, if it, we wouldn't do something specifically for the birthday, but if it coincided with something, you know, to me, I'd be like, ooh, we're at the movie for my birthday or ooh, we're doing this for my birthday. And But it, that was like me. My mom never did that. We'd talk about it. It was more like a memory. Now that I'm a mom... I have a two-year-old and celebrating her first birthday was so important to me. I so badly wanted to do it so badly because for me that like that marked a year of surviving motherhood and the most formative day of my life where I met the most beautiful and important person of my life. Like I met that person like on that day, that day is forever etched in my memory and it is so important to me. So as a mother now, I wonder like how my mom just didn't do it. Was your home happy? Was it a happy, fun place to be? Or was it very constrained um, under the religion? It was restrictive, but I never had a desire to go outside of those confines. I didn't care. I mean, I, as a kid, I never got grounded. I never snuck out. I rarely lied to my mother. I was the good kid. Okay. And I didn't feel like I, it, like I said, I was black and white and I didn't feel like pushing those boundaries at all. I didn't, I just didn't ever feel the need. I was content with what I had and I was content with what I knew. And I never really thought about seeking anything else. Were the other kids within your church a bit more curious than you from your They definitely pushed the boundaries. All my friends were getting in trouble. And that was kind of like my badge of honor that I was the one that was not out having sex and smoking pot. (laughs) Oh, okay. So they did do that sort of stuff. Oh, they did. They got in huge trouble for it. And I feared, I feared authority. I feared getting in trouble because it's public humiliation. Everyone knows what you've done. There's no, well, depending on how you've, if you were committed within the 
congregation, if you're baptized um, and you've done something like that, you have to go and confess to a body of elders, which is generally three to four men. If you're underage, then your parents can be there. Generally, it's your dad, not your mom. So another man in the room. And I'm having a high school friend, not high school, we're friends in high school. She was a year younger than I was. And she was constantly out getting into trouble, constantly sneaking out of the house, sleeping with boys, smoking weed, 15 years old. And for me at the time, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. What happens if you have sex? Like well, as a female. you're supposed to confess. Okay. You're supposed to go and confess in the group of men, creepy, perverted men, as far as I'm concerned, that want to hear about your sex life as a woman. That's just awful. Not their business. Like, talk to your parents. Okay, get that. Other people that it's no bit not their business. Um, but you have to go and sit there and tell them. And then they ask you questions and they try to figure out if you're telling the truth. And basically if it was if basically if I knew that my friend was doing this and I didn't tell her she had to confess and then rat on her, they want you to tattle on your friends. They want to know, then I was equally as guilty as her if I didn't get her in trouble. So would you every single time you learned about something? I didn't know okay. until after. Oh okay. So because no one ever I, can find it. I tell on her. It was the eternal rule follower. <laughs> Well, I guess that made it a lot easier to oh, pad yeah. and everything like and my, that. So my siblings were not. They were always pushing it. And I just couldn't understand why they would, why are they doing this? Like, follow the rules. It's not that difficult. Why do you have to push? I'm curious too. It? Did you guys consume traditional media, like cartoons and everything like that? Somewhat. So we, um, Disney movies, generally, yes. I mean, I remember watching Aladdin as a kid, which now JWs would never let their kid watch Aladdin because there's, you know that sultan and the you know all the spiritism in there jafar is like a magic practicing priest which would totally not fly now and i mean now when my friends had kids you know they wouldn't let their kids watch frozen they wouldn't let their kids watch trolls they wouldn't let their kids watch the princess movies where i watched all those growing up and it definitely got more stringent as time went on why do you think that was or is Um, I think because more people started to try and apply the rules and say, like, this isn't adding up. We're not allowed to watch Harry Potter, but this princess has a magic spell put on her. So what's the difference? And so they're, they'll say it's a conscience matter, but a conscience matter also means that if it's going to stumble, quote unquote, someone else and bother them, hurt their harm their conscience then you shouldn't do it. And if you're going to do it, don't talk about it. So I know people that read Harry Potter. I never did. I still never have. I have no desire. It kind of scares me still. I'm still kind of getting over that. Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, never watched them. I don't like do scary movies or like that. I haven't even really done Halloween. I still haven't done it. Um, We did Christmas for the first time last year, which was really exciting and very expensive. (laughs) Like the gifts and the tree and everything. We would joke about as a JW was, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't have to celebrate Christmas. It's so expensive. And they talk about that in the Kingdom Hall. They're like, oh, you know, all the people there, you know, they're they're all getting their credit card bills in January for all the Christmas presents they bought. And, you know, aren't we so lucky that we haven't incurred debt like that just because of some holiday, pagan holiday. And that's just like the air of superiority that they talk about with over everyone else. When they come knocking on your door, you know, they're doing it because they think they're better than you, mostly. They, they think they're trying to save you. Um, and in order to save you and preach to you, they, they're also, you know, removing blood guilt from themselves because they're told that they, if they don't try and preach and save people, they're blood guilty. So it's all about being better than everyone else. So what To were, me, anyway, yeah, it was what very were your much... experiences like going and trying to save other people? Was it a negative experience? Because in my understanding is that the general population is always avoiding well there's stand-up comedians that talk about it it's it's a, it's a laughing matter right yeah. people think jokes about it it's funny as a kid i remember very distinctly the first time someone slammed the door and yelled at us and told us to get off their property and i remember it very very i remember who i was with i remember it was a saturday morning 
I was probably like six or seven years old. I was young. And I remember it. I remember being, you know, like kind of startled. And then they tell, don't worry. You know what? People didn't like Jesus either, but he still did it. He still preached. And you will get a lot of people that just don't answer the door. They're home, but hiding. So, you know, when you don't answer the door when the JWs come, they know you're not they know you're hiding from them. How do you guys know? Because you can hear her oh, and you okay. can see the blinds move. And like, they, they're they like, oh, they watch. And you wait. You don't just knock and walk away. Like you'll knock and then you'll wait and you'll knock again. And you can tell like if the lights are not, or if you can smell bacon, you know they're home. Like they're, they're just not answering the door, right? And they just avoid you for sure. And then you'll get some people that are really mean and you'll get some people that are a little hostile and you'll get, then you'll get the occasional nice person that's willing to talk. And um, did you ever experience actually converting a person? Personally, no, but I did witness it happen growing up. Yeah, I witnessed people get converted and some people that left, you know, you, you kind of, you judge them for leaving, for not coming, not continuing their studies. And um, there were a few people that converted, but now as an, now that I'm an adult, there's you see that they target the mentally Vulnerable. unstable, yeah. the disabled, and the people that are mentally ill. They don't think as critically about everything. And, or the refugees. They do target a lot of um, people that are very new to the country. Mm-hmm. Any vulnerable community, basically. Any, any vulnerable person, yeah, for sure. They, they continue to call on you because they're trained that, you know, life circumstances change. And how do we know that, you know, one day we'll call on them and they will tell us, oh, no, we're not interested. But then, you know, six months later, their husband dies and you're going to call on them and they're going to be looking for hope and you can provide them with that hope. And I've actually heard of something recently where people have been replying to like obituaries and sending finding people's name in the phone book and sending them literature and like really targeting the people that are in their most vulnerable state. And they're not doing it because they actually care. They're doing it because they're trying to bolster numbers and because they're trying to get their time in because they have to report time for preaching. You know, that way they can say, oh, I did this. You know, I did this when the end comes. I did this. And, you know, I'm saying a lot of money behind the Jehovah's Witnesses. How do you guys produce all this literature and all this money? Huge money. I mean, they own half of Brooklyn. Oh, in New okay. York. Yeah, they just sold it off a couple of years ago to Donald Trump's son-in-law. Oh. <laughs> and they own billions of dollars in real estate okay. in Brooklyn. They also get tons and tons and tons of donations okay, from the people. Okay, yeah, because I was going to ask, like, was your family in, in part, you know, giving a large sum uh, of their... I don't know that it was large necessarily. We didn't, like, have a ton of money. But there are... my Like, when people die, they often leave a percentage of their estate to the organization. Um you know, it's all tax deductible, right? So you do donate and you get a tax receipt for it. So you can apply it to your taxes. Um, people would do it that way. And and I mean, they now, when they have their big conventions, which is like a three-day, all-day, you know, convention, they have people standing there with boxes collecting money. And now they have credit card machines Oh, okay. to donate. And yeah. so they made it easy for everyone to donate and give them their money. And they're constantly saying, okay, this is how much it costs to put this convention on. And you've only re- earned this much to, up to the lunchtime session. So we need to raise more and we have a deficit and we need this. And then by the end of the day, they'll have more than they need. And they just have to put the call out there. People just, people donate money. Personally, I didn't very rarely uh, as a child. I mean, they even encourage the kids to like give up their ice cream money and give their allowance. Like they want it all. And there have been many parts recently about donating, like donating their allowance money, which to me is super low because I mean, as a kid, how much money do you ever get? Yeah. And they want it. And like going and buying something at stores, like so such a gratifying thing is, for a child. Is the request for charity constant then? Like, yeah. okay. I would say, so there's a couple different avenues that would happen. There'd be either like at the meetings um, at the co- con- conventions. So where that's where they have like, they have big groups of people like 
in a big building. And so they'll do that. And then they, that's a big moneymaker for them. They also, um, whenever there's like a natural disaster or they have to build a new kingdom hall somewhere, they will like kind of talk about it and sometimes have a letter to come from the society and they'll read it. And they'll say, okay, we want to pass a resolution that every month the congregation is going to give X number of dollars per publisher. And normally it's not all that much. Come for us in Canada, it's not a big deal, like $12 a family per month. Not a big deal. But in a developing country, so... There are different ways they would call for money and ask for it. Another way they do it is they have a uh, broadcasting network on internet um, that you can watch. It's like tele, a televangelist show, uh, and it's two hours once a month. And they have others that they come out during the month. So they have the one main one. I couldn't even count how many times they've gotten on there and say, okay, brothers and sisters, we are putting all this money out for this and this and this. We're rebuilding this big building. We're rebuilding Bethel. or We are buying new printing presses and we're doing this and doing that. Um, and you know, we're only getting this much in and, and we are putting this much out and you know, we need more money. And, and it's, I watch it now because I do still, oh, from time to time, not directly from them watch it. I watch it in a different way with somebody giving some commentary. And um, yeah, it's become very like more common. But I just want to take it back to your high school years. Okay. I was curious to know about um, your experience in high school and specifically your experience, you know, towards the end. So 12th grade, you know, where you're thinking about, you know, going forward within your education, because I did hear that. Jehovah's Witnesses dissuade you from actually becoming like an independent woman through education and things like that. Am I correct in saying Absolutely. that? Absolutely. So whenever you go through school, I mean, you don't even think about going to university, college. You don't think about that. They encourage you to get a trade because something they can use within their organization, either building facilities, you know, it's something you can do and control your time a bit. Um, plumbers, electricians, that kind of thing, or, you know, hairdressing, they incredible, it's all trades based. So you never knew like any doctors or lawyers? Well, they have them. Okay. They have them at headquarters. Okay. They do. I mean, JWs have a crew of their own lawyers. How they, they put them all through law school, but they do definitely, they definitely dissuade further education. I know my personally, I was, I kind of specialized in culinary arts in high school. Uh, I spent half of grade 11 and 12, half of the year completely in chef training and culinary arts. I loved it. I was nominated for a scholarship to VCC, fully paid. Um, and my teacher just said, he's like, if you want it, I'll nominate you. But if you don't, I've got someone else in mind. He's like, but I'd really like you to take it. And what did you say? I told him no. Right away? Or did you think about it? Because uh, being a chef, you would be working evenings and weekends. And that's when the meetings were. How do you feel about that now? I don't know that it was the life path I would have taken. I would have been happy with now. It is a physically taxing job. I know that because I did do practicums and I did work in kitchens, but it's still very much a passion. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had to have been like a line chef. I could have you know, open my own restaurant or I could have opened a bakery or, mm. you know, there's so many other options. Um, the schooling would have been amazing. Uh, it would have been, I would have loved to do it. Did any part of you when you were rejecting that opportunity feel a sense of loss at the time or you were just like, no, no, no thanks? because I just, I didn't think twice about it. And that's how I just was with a lot of these things. I was just like, nope, I'm good. Nope, I'm good. So there's no even grieving the opportunity. Nope. Oh, you wow. just don't even, you just don't even think about it. Nope. And that's how they train you. They train you just to be like, nope, put it out of your head. Don't even think about it. It's not a thing. You don't need to do this. Don't dwell on it. Don't so, think too much about so it. So were you sort of geared towards being a wife and a mother then if you're not going to go to school? Absolutely. Or a full-time preacher. Um, that's become more popular lately. I'm more encouraged. Wasn't 
as much when I was that age, but now definitely. And, um, it's something I never wanted to do. And like, never, I, I mean, I'd go, I'd go out preaching and it was fine. I never wanted to spend very much time doing it. And there would be certain months of the year, I, you know, you'd commit to do a certain number of hours and I would do it and be so what relieved that was done. What the hours typically look like? Um, they like you to get the congregation average, which generally is around 10 hours a month. And preaching, is that just the door-to-door stuff? Door-to-door, they have telephone witnessing. They You'll see them out with their carts now at Metropolitan, like called the Metropolitan Witnessing. So like at SkyTrain stations and bus depots and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They'll do business witnessing where they go into businesses and talk to people as they're working, which as a, a business person now, if someone came in and tried to talk to my staff while they're working, I would be absolutely livid. And one thing that... I wanted to mention earlier, one thing I felt about with the preaching was as I got older and realized, you know, you know, your Monday to Friday is really busy. My Saturday mornings are kind of sacred and it's my one morning to sleep in. So please don't come and knock on my door. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was in the religion, still very into the religion. I, be- I gained, began to feel that way. I began to feel bad for calling people and disturbing them in their homes because I thought like if it was me, I'd be telling you to get off my doorstep. Sorry. Like I don't want to be difficult, but you come to my house before 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays, all times of the year, don't care about holidays. You do not respect whether it's a Thanksgiving or Mother's Day weekend. You do not respect any of that. They don't care. Like I, to me, it felt like I was invading their privacy yeah. repeatedly. How many times do I have to go knock on someone's door and for them not to answer before I stop? That kind of grew like to be a problem for me because I felt like, you know, how many times are they going to tell us they're not interested before we listen to them? And the only ones they listened to are the ones that were threatening and they said, do not come back here and or I'm going to call the police or What if whatever. there's like a no soliciting sign at the door? Do you guys respect that? Or? Nope. So they came up with some scripture as to why they would not respect that because soliciting, basically they say soliciting is selling and we're not selling. But then there's another sign that I saw quite regularly that says no agents, peddlers, or solicitors. And I'm like, well, we're an agent of God. We're peddling the word of God. Like, no, this is, this applies to us. They'll stand there and be like, oh, well, maybe this current homeowner isn't the one that put it up there. Maybe it's from the previous owner of the home. So let's try. Like that, I very much into respecting people's space. I'm maybe I'm more aware of it than most people are because of my background, but like it, that never sat well with me. Yeah. Like they, they have a sign. Yeah. They have a sign. If they didn't want it there, they'd take it down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was the same thing with going into people's businesses. Like, yeah. they're not on their break. They're just between customers. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't disturb them. Like, no, that's not okay. I, I also wanted to get a little bit into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after high school, you didn't take this opportunity. What was it like to mature into a young woman still within the faith? Were you dating quite regularly? Was Is dating even allowed? So I, well... I met my now ex-husband. I was 16. He was my best friend's brother at the time. She and I had been friends for a little while. I knew the family and I met him. I, again, referring to the whole low self-esteem, I didn't want to be alone forever. So, you know, at 16, (laughs) foolishly thought I'd be alone forever. And uh, no, I didn't date. I had one boyfriend. I had other people at the time that were like, oh, we didn't know you were dating. Let's, let's. Want to get to know you better. And I'm like, you know, I'm not. I found this person and he's great. And uh, so what was that romance like? Was he also a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, he was JW for sure. Uh, raised, born and bred, born and bred JW. And we both were from families that had been several generations as JWs. They call that a good spiritual heritage. Uh, 
Yeah, it's the terminology they use is just hilarious now that I say it after being out. Um, but yeah, so he was in, he was five years older than I was. And I mean, I took him to grad. I, um, we got married when I was 19. He was 24. And yeah, and never really looked back until last year. <laughs> and yeah, no, there was no dating. And dating was not dating. Dating was groups, going out with your friends in groups. And my mother had a rule about it being odd numbers of boys and girls. So you weren't pairing off. Yeah. And you, they always wanted you to be chaperoned. So if it was you and your significant other, there always had to be a chaperone, somebody that was going to be responsible to make sure that you guys didn't like take off and go and bang or something in another room or even like kiss or touch too much. Like they were very restrictive as to that. You were, there was no sex before marriage. Everyone did it, but there was not supposed to. They, um, what else? So, yeah. So before the age of 19, then you guys were completely chaperoned and under for the most part. And we got engaged when I, I was 19 okay. and we got engaged in Jan- January. We got married in March. It's a very short engagement. Um, we dated for three years, but even at that point in time, when we got engaged, my mom allowed us then to like meet at a restaurant and have dinner together, the two of us. But up until that point in time, we pretty much had not been alone together. So you could even have had a quiet some, conversation? Like yeah, that. on the phone. And that was the other thing. She didn't want us talking on the phone if I was in, like in my room. She wanted me talking on the landline so that if she wanted to, she could pick up and hear. Even that part of your life, it, you are told that it is bad. I mean, you do not pleasure yourself. You do not have sex. Like sex is not for fun. Okay. And sex is not something a woman should enjoy. So sex as a is young, for the man. Oh, wow. So as a young woman, you actually had internalized this. You genuinely felt that despite yeah. your body telling you otherwise. I mean, I, that's not to say I didn't do things. <laughs> I mean, like you're a teenager. I mean, yeah. like, of course. Yeah. But you don't know your body even like you're not allowed you're not encouraged to explore it and frankly i'm sorry when i have now i have a child yeah when they're a teenager i would much rather you take care of yourself than be taking care of somebody else so please like figure it out yourself like but they don't they and they just they just want you to they tell you to deaden that desire and that causes huge problems later on in life how is that even possible Yeah. yeah it's not and that's the thing now like i'm 30 i'm single ish uh, you know, I'm dating for the first time in my life and it's like, what is yeah, this? This is totally crazy. different environment. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, I'm scared. Like mm-hmm. it's scary. Cause I just, you know, you're, you're taught, they, they scare you. They instill fear into you about all the things that could go wrong and what could happen. And they basically tell you you're going to get AIDS and you're going to get pregnant. The first person you touch, like yeah. that's what they tell you. Like they, they, um. they put this fear in you of what's going to happen, what could go wrong. So you don't do it. And some people do, and then they are they're the ones that do it, and they're like, well, nothing bad happens. So, so speaking of pregnancy, yeah. after you got married, how quickly did you have your daughter? Um, so we were married for seven and a half years before I got pregnant. Oh, okay. Wasn't by choice. It just took a long time. It's not necessarily even encouraged now, like for people to have children. It's a big. But wouldn't they want you to have children so well, that they create more Jehovah's Witnesses through that? Yes, because it's probably easier to raise them than to. Definitely, they don't. They don't like actively discourage people having children. But what they do say is, uh, one very um, important pillar in the congregation and in, in their religion um, 
is that they believe that Armageddon is going to come at any time. They believe that based on biblical scriptures that Armageddon is imminent and the whole world's going to wiped out except for them. You know, people put their own spins on it and they'll say, oh, well, it'd be easier to go through Armageddon without having a small child and having them have to witness it. Or, you know, what if something happens and they don't make it? So would a small child even be included because they're yeah. not consciously devoted? They'd be included. And basically the understanding is that if the parents are not doing what they should be, then the kids aren't might not make it either. So like for me, because now my ex-husband and myself have both left the faith, my family all feels like my, t- my child is now done for too. I know that eventually they'll make it their life's mission if they're involved in her life to try and convert her and save her. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because you've sort of damned her in their In their mind. Yeah. 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 I've taken her down with me. No, that I'm not even, that's not even a, that's not even an exaggeration. Like it's as if I've signed my own death certificate now. That's what they think. Like I am as good as dead. So that must be hard for your mom. And my mom and I were very, very, very close. And it was not something I could even talk to her about at the time because if I had, she would have had to rat on, rat me out and tell people. So as you were questioning the faith, you weren't even able to talk to your mom about it because she would have right away gone in. And because they're trained, they're trained to like respond and, you know, which is how I initially responded to myself. It's like, oh, no, 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 that's not a thing. Or, oh, that's obviously not true or whatever. But, you know, the more I looked into it, the more I realized, hmm, there's something here that I haven't been paying attention to before. I would have loved to have been able to share that with her. Can you describe what proceeded and what led up to you coming to this realization and you starting to question? Because I'm sure it wasn't, was it a like a aha moment or was it a gradual realization? So about five years ago, um, I had an affair. It was a very character building moment in my life. Met someone, kind of fell in love with them. And um, I knew it was wrong. I was married. My husband was never home. He worked a lot. Not that that makes it right. doesn't make it right. Um, But it was short-lived, and I told my husband I came clean, and he was quite disillusioned because I had been very active in the church. And so at that time, I went through, you know, all the procedures they required of me in order to show repentance for my sins. I stayed with my husband, even though at the time I knew it was done. I knew that at that time, I knew after that experience that I didn't love him because and I was, I was man, quite was awake. He also a joke? He was a joke. Okay. Yeah. So was and he married as well? He was not married. He was a single dad. Um, and I basically what happened is I started looking after his kid and she and I became very close and then he and I hit it off and it was a very organic, very organic and very natural development of relationship. Um, but it was obviously not right and not the action I should have taken, but it definitely, it taught me how to not, to not be judgmental towards people because up until that point in time, that was something I said I would never do. It was, that was part of definitely like the beginning for me of kind of opening my eyes a bit. I didn't realize at the time. And for my, my husband at the time, you know, he started to examine everything because I had been preaching extra and involved in the congregation. And I was at more meetings than he was, but yet I was still, on the other hand, doing these bad things. So I guess it was your first introduction to human nature and that you can't be policed into being perfect. Absolutely. Because in my mind now, I know the reason I did it is because I was completely unfulfilled. I got married at 19 to somebody I never should have. And not only that, but I, my marriage was completely empty because my husband at the time was never home. 
And we did not have that connection. We never had. We were friends. We got along well. Like, don't get me wrong. Was he happy within the marriage? He was content, but he didn't know any different either. And that was the thing. It, it like it opened my eyes falling for somebody else, like falling in love with somebody else, like opened my eyes. To realize what to a relationship like, Holy really is. crap, is this what this is supposed to feel like? Like I've been eating milk chocolate my entire life and I've just tried dark and like, holy crap, how do I go back to eating the shitty milk chocolate? I can't. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you're not bad. You're just not as good as this. And I, you know, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And I, that, like I just I had an awakening at the time and I I stayed in the marriage because that was how I showed my that I was sorry that I you know was sorry for what I'd done because if you're there you don't if you're in the relation the religion and you are the offending party the victim gets to decide whether you stay or not whether you want to or not so if my husband at the time said he wanted me to stay which he did uh he would stay married to me I couldn't say that I wanted to leave Oh. Because if I did, that would mean I wasn't actually sorry for what I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically I that's what happened. that was the big that was a turning point for me because I had a change in attitude towards a lot of things, a lot of people and a lot of opinions I had about people and how they live their lives. And it was it was I it humbled me exceptionally it was exceptionally humbling experience. So basically at that point in time, my husband at the time started doing research. And he started doing independent research from the Watchtower because like the JWs have their own app. They have their own website. They had their own like CD-ROM encyclopedia they used to put out every year. They have all these things at their disposal, all By these resources. independent research, you mean he was looking beyond those materials? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they, they don't want you Googling JWs. Do not Google the JWs. Do not Google or do not look at newspaper articles unless they're from us. Do not um, read any independent anything aside from what they give you. They don't want you reading it. And to the point where they will put, say they have an article, historical article on something that happened and they have all their references as to what backs them up. And, you know, that's what it started with him is he started looking at those references. And when you look at their references, you see they actually like picked a sentence here and a sentence there to apply to what they wanted it to apply to. But if you read the whole page, mm-hmm. the whole article, you'll actually see that the people they've quoted weren't saying what they say they said mm-hmm. at all. Repe- repeatedly. I was like, oh, that's just one when he showed me it. I said, no, 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 that's just one. Then he showed me like 10. I was like, holy crap. What motivated him to do this? I don't really know if it was maybe like an, I don't know, instinct thing. He was very disillusioned by what had happened and he wasn't... Um, feeling confident. And he's like, well, I clearly am not strong enough in my faith. So I need to strengthen my faith because this bad thing has happened in my family. And so that's how it started. He started researching. One thing he started reading was about, was with Jordan Peterson. Um, he started watching his Bible lectures because he's an educated person mm-hmm. and it was very interesting for him. And so he just started kind of doing his own research and going outside the JW box. And going outside the bubble that we were in, he started, you know, you start kind of, you take your, like the veil off your eyes and you start looking at everything with a little bit of criticism, not not like, not out to prove it wrong, but just a little bit. And it just kind of unravels from there. So for him, for him that's what happened. And it, it was a good year for him before me because I could tell something was wrong and I thought he was, I thought he was going to leave me and I was pregnant and I, I was like, what's going on? So it was a good year of him mm-hmm. exploring that seed yep. of doubt. Yeah. Okay. And talking to people. So it actually started for him with a Reddit post. He put a post on Reddit and it said, I'm a JW for 30 years. 
ask me anything. And it was a question someone asked in that Reddit post that started him to research. Okay. What was that question? It was, I believe it was about the destruction of Jerusalem. The JWs say that Jerusalem was destroyed in a certain time, but it was at a, at a certain year, but it was actually 35 years either prior. I think it was prior, 35 years prior. And how is that relevant? So they use that date alongside a scripture that talks about certain number of times, which time is a year and all these things. There's different, there's some calculation they've come up with that brings them to 1914. And of course, what happened in 1914, there was a world war that happened in that time. And they basically say that that is when the scripture about Jesus hurling Satan from the heavens to the vicinity of the earth to, you know, make the earth awful. And they basically pinpoint that year as when that happened. Okay. And that is when they count their years of Jesus reigning. And so there was like a hundred years of Jesus reigning and then they then they anticipated Armageddon would come and it's they are always trying to forecast it. They're, they they don't forecast it, but they always say, oh well this could be a pivotal year or this could be really important. And there have been times in history they have for, forecast it and people have counted on it and then it hasn't happened, obviously. Oh, okay. So they're constantly, you know They're doomsday called. Okay. They're doomsday called. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like I'm sorry, I hate to use the word. I hate to say that. Uh, my mother would be horrified if she heard me say that, but they're, they're doomsday cult. They are, they're constantly looking for the world to end. And they, they basically are preaching mass genocide. They're, so then isn't the life of the typical um, Jehovah's Witness marked by constant fear and anxiety then? Oh, absolutely. I lived in constant fear. And any JW who tells you they didn't, they're lying. Do you think your mom did or does? Um, I think that they, they do, but they have ways of combating it. I think that my mom definitely does now because her kids won't be there. But they also, that period of Armageddon is going to be followed by this grand resurrection of all your dead loved ones. And so they're anxious and scared, but they just want to do everything they can so they make it through and get to see their, you know, dead parents and grandparents again. It's like the carrot in front of the horse, just it's always dangling in front of them. Like you're going to get to see your people you miss so badly that, you know, died and you're going to see them again and just keep doing what you're doing and don't do more. You're not doing enough. Do more. Always do more because you want to make sure that you are, you, you know, storing your riches in heaven and not on earth and that you are ensuring you're going to be in Armageddon. So yeah, no, I personally, like there were definitely, when I allowed myself to think about it, there would be times where I'd say to my husband at the time, like, we need to study this more because I'm not confident about what the steps have to be because they give you a t- like a steps. Okay. False religion has to be destroyed. And then sit, then they, people, um, the world authorities then turn their wrath onto true Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and then they're pinpointed. And then just before everyone thinks they're exterminated, Jesus is going to swoop in and save them. And then it's all done and he's going to wipe out all the bad people and then start the resurrecting. And so there's there's a steps that have to happen and they have, they'll put out speculation as to what this could be or what this, that could be. And they talk about the king of the North, the king of the South, and these Bible, char- not characters, these Bible, you know, people that the Bible talks about in there that have to fight against each other and they are constantly trying to like name which party it is. And it's often like a world power. Okay. And so they just recently changed one of them to be Russia. And it was prior, they thought it was somebody else. And so like as world events change, they change. They to adapt what's out there, which is total BS. It's not going to change. Yeah. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, like even if this is all right, like I've, I'm no longer, I no longer believe in the Bible. I no longer believe in God. Um, I'm very, I consider myself the agnostic now, which is basically I'm not atheist. I think that that makes sense that there 
is something out there, but I don't think it's for us to figure out. And I think that frankly, we should stop trying because we're never going to know. Yeah. That's me. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. And that's something I've had to be okay with because for all my entire life, I was not okay with anyone else believing anything but what I believed and everything uh, else, everything else they believed was wrong. Yeah. And so now, you know, you can believe in God and you could be a Buddhist or you could be Muslim and that's okay because just be a good person. So your husband exited the face before you did. And so was he the catalyst for you then as well? He was. So I remember when I thought he was going to leave me uh, because he wasn't attending the meetings, he wasn't going preaching. And I was, we were in a new area. We lived in, moved to a new city and uh, I was trying very hard to, you know, establish myself there. And basically when one part partner when your your spouse doesn't attend the meetings and is not regular they're considered a spiritual deadbeat which is kind of insulting because my husband wasn't sitting at home playing video games and drinking beer he was working he ran we ran a business and he was working and he was providing money for our family and i was pregnant and i was actually on sick leave prior to having giving birth and so yeah i was six months pregnant i i sat him down and I just said, like, I said, you can tell me what's going on here because I do not want to go to the Kingdom Hall anymore and have people ask me where you are. I'm tired of it. And I'm not, I'm, I said, you're negative about the whole thing. You don't want to go out. You don't want to go preaching. You don't want to go to the meetings. You don't want to associate with these people. And I like, am I going to be raising this baby alone because you're going to leave me? Like, you're clearly going to leave me. And so he told me, he said, um, he told me to look up one thing. Just says, just, I want, he's like, I'm not going to tell you because you're not going to believe me. But I want you to just research this one thing. And that was the um, destruction of Jerusalem because that ties into 1914 and all mm. these other things, right? And so basically it took me 10 minutes on Google uh, and Wikipedia and a couple other like legitimate sources to completely unravel my entire faith. This is while you were six months pregnant. I was six months pregnant. I looked it up initially on the JW site. Yep, it's exactly as they've said it is. Of course it is. And then I Googled it and um, it came up. And it, yeah, it was literally 10 minutes. And I read it and I was like, huh, okay. And I didn't say anything to him, first of all. And then it came up again. We were talking. And um, I said to him, I said, well, he's like, could you look it up? This is a while, a month or so later. Because I was just like, I don't want to talk about this. I can't handle it. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I told him, we talked about it. And then he showed me, I think he showed me a video from somebody, because there's a lot, actually, a lot of videos online from people that have left the faith that are very fact-based and they explain everything really well. And that really helped me. But I remember when I kind of like came to terms with the fact that everything I knew to be the truth was a lie and that the way I saw my life and the things I looked forward to, like taking my daughter to her first convention dressed up in her cute little dresses with all our friends with babies and, you know, seeing her grow up with her friends and my family. And I knew that once that was unraveled, I knew I couldn't stay in it anymore because I was a very black and white person. And like, if it's the truth, it's always going to be the truth and it's not going to be disproved. It's always going to be the truth. And this is not the truth. Yeah. So it's like what was once white is now black. Exactly. Okay. Or gray. Yeah. There was okay. a lot of gray at that point in time too, yeah. because I was trying to justify it. I tried to justify it. And first of all, I started off saying, well, surely the people that are in charge, because there are eight men in New York that are in charge of the Jehovah's Witness organization, also known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. There are eight men, nine now, actually, I think. One of them is, you know, your token black guy and the rest of them are all eight white men from America. There's one Australian. I thought to myself, surely they do not know. Mm -hmm. Surely they do not know 
And I'm like, oh, we got to tell them. That's what I'm thinking. Like, we got to tell them. Oh, my God. I'm like, how do, they, how do they not know this? This is crazy. And then we started, we watched the video and it taught, it was somebody that had worked in the headquarters um, and was a helper to one of the people on the governing body, one of the head guys, because he was older. He discovered the same thing, but he discovered because his, the person he was assisting got sent letters informing him of this. And they have a certain filing system for all these letters. They just put them in the cupboard. They don't even read them. They like read the, read a little bit of it and they file it away. They don't even investigate it at all. Okay. So there was other people like you who were saying, Hey, there's discrepancies here. Yep. Tons of people, tons of people. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, so they know. And so I'm thinking, well, they're not bad people. So why are they doing this? Like, what do they, what benefit do they have? Money and control and power. Religion is all about, I've learned now, religion is all about controlling people and controlling how they think, controlling what they do and how they spend their money and their time. And it's all control. No matter what religion you look at, it's all about controlling people. And generally there's somebody at the top controlling a few people or one, depending. And so that's what it kind of was a very, not slow, but it was a, it was a gradual progression for me and a gradual realization and wrapping my head around it. But basically it boiled down to, I remember like one night I like, I was crying so hard that I couldn't breathe because it was like somebody had just pulled the floor from underneath me because everything I knew, everything I knew, every, every, you know, choice I made about many things in my life was based on the movies I watched and clothes that I wore and medical choices I made, people I hung out with, people that I didn't hang out with, people that I was rude to, you know, it was all based on this faith. And when you take that away, it was like, well, who am I? What do I, what do I like? What do I want? You lose your complete sense of identity because it was all I knew from birth. Not only that, there was a lot of emotional family ties to it as well. Because when you leave, you don't just get to leave, you get shunned and your entire family cuts you out if they're, if they're JWs. So my mother stopped talking to me, my aunts, uncles, cousins who have known me since I was born. I had, I had a one-year-old daughter, would not, they completely cut me out. They won't speak to me. I mean, I was just at a funeral and all my family was there. It's the first time I'd seen them since I left and they wouldn't, they wouldn't speak to me. They just looked at me. Um, and my one hugged, a few of them hugged me, but wouldn't speak to me. They were devastated. And I knew I was going to hurt them with this, but I also, I couldn't live a lie for other people. And I had a daughter to think about now. And I, how could I teach her this? when I know it wasn't the truth? How could I preach to people door to door when I knew it wasn't the truth? I couldn't. So um, we slowly kind of stopped going to the meetings. We went more infrequently. I mean, I had a newborn at the time, so it wasn't that big of a deal. It was normal that you you would miss because the baby wasn't sleeping or was sick or whatever, whatever. And I also was quite sick after having the baby, so you know, I had that as well. but then, you know, as life got normal again with baby and we settled into a routine and my mom kind of suspected and she said to me, she's like, oh, I want to see pictures of your daughter in her meeting clothes. Let me picture, say a picture of what she wore tonight. I want to see her. How was the meeting? Did you have this announcement? Did you have that announcement? And so being the black and white person that I was, even when I had the affair, I never lied about it. Mm. I never lied to my husband about it. He never knew. And when I he knew, it was because I told him. No one knew. And so it was the same with this. I told myself that when it came time that I couldn't be honest anymore with what I was doing or if I didn't go to the meeting or I did, that I would come clean. And so that did come. That day did come. I had to come clean to my parents. So and one reason, one thing that, that came to a head for me 
at the end because really concerning to me was that there was a huge amount of child sex abuse within the organization and problems with pedophilia, like huge. I mean, it's very well known that Catholics have a problem with their priests being pedophiles and them hiding it while JWs have the same problem, a bit different, but the same, same scale. It's quite bad. Um, there are a lot of, um, a lot of great efforts have been taken to cover it up and hide it. So don't really deny that it happens. And I mean, the average AW doesn't know because they're told not to read newspaper articles about them. They're told not to watch the news about them. If there's anything bad about Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a tool of the devil. Don't listen to it. Don't read it. But when I left or when I, my eyes were a bit more open, I, you know, I allowed myself to read those articles. And there were a couple, you know, really important ones. Like in 2015, there was a very large inquiry in Australia called the Australian World Commission. And that was, um, there was the prosecutor for the government for Australia. He learned, took great, like took years to learn the JW, like elder handbook, that they have a guidebook for the people that lead the congregation. And he read that he learned the principles of the religion and he did his very best to hold them accountable for the way they've been treating these crimes and that they have an internal reporting system and they do not report to the authorities when there's been an accusation. They do not, they actually discourage parents from reporting it. They have a two witness rule where it's, okay, so your little kid here has come and said, so-and-so touched me in my special area. And then you go to the brothers and the elders and you say, okay, my son has said this about so-and-so. And they say, well, do we have a second witness to the act that they're accused of. So it's it's the child can be a witness and then a second. Yep, they want a second witness to the act. Who abuses a child with another person in the room? No one, ever. And as far as I'm concerned, kids don't just make that shit up. Yeah, most, especially... Most kids don't make that if up. If you guys didn't have uh, basic no, sex ed, you no, wouldn't really... No, and like why would any kid... Like I can understand one in like a thousand children being little shit about it and making it up because they're looking for attention or something without understanding the implications. But most kids are not going to come up with that come specific up with that on their own and lie about it. Like, why are you assuming the child is lying about that? But they, they have that and they stick to it. There's a scripture about it, about having a second witness. But I'm sorry, knowing the st- studying Jesus and, you know, the principles in the Bible, the way I have my entire life, I can tell you that if you ask Jesus, should he exist? If you asked him, he would tell you, protect the children. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture that talks about children being a gift from God. So I'm sorry, brothers, it's your job to protect them. And when you're not reporting the criminals to the authorities, letting the professionals deal with them, and then getting those kids psychological help, because they also discourage that, you're not helping anybody. You're, you are part of the problem. We cannot bury our heads in the sand any longer. It's an awful problem. It's an awful thing to talk about, but it exists and we can't act like it doesn't. So let's do something about it. Let's not act like it's everyone else's problem, but we are perfect. Well, you know, you're really not. And so now things are coming out. I mean, there are several other cases. There's one in 2018 last year, last year, Montana, and it was the largest settlement in U.S. history. It's $35 million. I remember watching the case um, on the watching on the on the internet, waiting for the verdict to come out, and the people had been asking, the victims had been asking for four million dollars, and they were awarded four million dollars, and they are awarded another thirty-one million dollars because the court, the jury decided that the Watchtower organization operated with malice. So that means that they basically acted with bad intentions. 
uh, so concealing like, malicious. It was yeah. malicious, right? They did it with malicious intentions. They did it. They did it specifically to protect themselves and not to protect the victim. And it was a young girl who had been molested many, many, many times, and her cousin as well by the same person. And they then um, appealed it. And recently, it was they were denied appeal. And now they're fighting it again. And they'll fight it. They'll fight it repeatedly. And there was another case in California. They judge wanted them to provide because they have a database. The JWs have a database. They have a, a blue envelope system. So whenever someone is accused of any child sex abuse, the, they have an envelope that it's a specific blue envelope that the brothers are supposed to put their notes into about this and send it to headquarters. Headquarters files it away and they have a database of all these people's names and where they live. I believe it was in California that this case was the judge said, provide us this list. Give us the list. Give us the list. And they said, no, we're not. We have clergy privilege. We are not doing it. But then when it doesn't work in their benefit, they'll say, we don't have clergy privilege. And they just turn it around. And so for months until the court started fining them several thousand dollars a day to provide this list. They still didn't provide it. And then they appealed the fines. And I actually, I don't think they've still, they've not turned the list over. over. Okay. Um, and it goes on for years. I mean, there are people that actually follow this stuff now as a career to publicize it. And I follow them now and listen. And you know, it's very, very interesting. It's, it's very devastating to realize that that occurs in a place you thought was safe and sacred. Especially after becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. And that was why I said, I'm like, I got to protect my kid. Because the final straw for me was that there was someone that moved into my my parents' congregation. Um, and this person was a convicted pedophile. He had raped his own child for years, his own daughter. I mean, who does that? Then they so actually, he was in your immediate he, circle. So he moved after he was released from prison and served his sentence. He moved into my parents' congregation and was attending there um i mean his daughter has a child that is his like her own what yes that's also in the church yes her own like brother son that she's raising yeah because you can't get an abortion and you and you saw this child no i've never seen them but i know it's very well known like i they're known people know them wow but so the dad started attending my mom's congregation and she told me and my mom was like, well, I hope he doesn't get assigned to our house for service, field service, for preaching, because they have groups build houses for that. And um, the kicker was this guy, when his daughter was pregnant, I mean, you're, she's not married, the um, brothers were going to disfellowship her. They were going to excommunicate her because she clearly had sex before she was married. And she wouldn't tell on him until I believe she was in high school. And then like the school counselors were like, something's not right here. And how old was she when she got pregnant with her father's child? I believe she was a teenager. This was a while ago. And then it finally came out later and they DNA tasted the kid. And it was like this very weird, twisted DNA, (laughs) this poor child. And like what to me, I was like, how many lives are you ruining with this? You're a married man. So your wife, you have a daughter and like three sons. You've messed them all now they're all damaged and now the kid and your poor daughter like if it were me i'd probably kill myself because would you ever feel okay with yourself and it's not your fault yeah it's not her fault but like how could you i couldn't live with myself like i I couldn't do it i mean how could you look at your kid how old is she now she's got to be probably 30 40s 40s probably okay so this child is probably yeah and he's and he's i mean like you're not normal at that point in time when your dna is that close right 
But anyway, so he was, he served a jail sentence. He got let out early for good behavior. And then he started attending my mother's congregation. And so it kind of came down to me saying to um, one of the elders in the congregation at the time, I said, okay, so this guy is here. He's a known convicted criminal Mm -hmm. for this act. Um, What are you doing to protect the congregation? Mm -hmm. I have a daughter. We attend your group. We attend your, you know, your congregation. You have other children in this congregation. Like, what are you doing to protect them? He says, well, we haven't discussed that yet. And I said, okay, well, it's been a month since he's been attending your congregation. You probably should have discussed it like the day he started attending. Um, I also found out later that he legally is supposed to be having a court appointed supervisor with him whenever he knows he's going to be somewhere with children. And he wasn't. There was no one attending with him. Um, the brothers there should have probably, in my opinion, put restrictions on him and told him, you know, listen on the phone line. You don't get to come into the hall or sit in the back room. And one of us is going to sit with you. Something to differ, to like show that they're taking it seriously, but they weren't. And the one part of it that really, really, really bothered me was that they still allowed him to go out preaching freely. And people, a lot of people think that the Jehovah's Witnesses are lovely and nice people and they're safe because they're preaching from the Bible and they're good Christians. Well, I'm sorry. The guy that could be knocking on your door could be a pedophile because they didn't do the right thing and report the person and then put proper restrictions on them. They excommunicated the guy. He went to jail. He said he was sorry. They let him back in and now he has no restrictions put on him. And that just did not sit right with me like at all. And so I said I was done. I told my mom, I said, I'm done be doing this. I can't do this anymore. I told my best friend and, um, then the word started spreading and we started getting our, getting phone calls. And I looked at my husband and I said, we need to make this public. We need to tell our story or we're never going to tell our story. And so um, we did. I made a post on Instagram, the quote, and I, you know, used all my <laughs> however many words I could use on Instagram post and yeah. I shared my story. Over one night, I lost between three and 400 followers on Instagram. And these are people that I knew personally. It had meals within their homes. They've been to my house. I, like I knew them all wasn't just like people I knew three people like I knew these people individually if I ran into them on the street they talked to me and um my my own mother deleted and blocked me on Instagram and Facebook wow yeah they just like just deleted us from their lives they didn't even I mean I had maybe three friends text me and say is this for real have you been hacked what's going on what's going on please just come to the convention in two weeks and it'll change your mind and let us just talk and I was like guys I, I, I knew I couldn't change their minds because I knew for me if somebody had just come to me and said this I would have been like you're crazy get away from me don't talk to me about this because that's how I was trained so I didn't want to do that I thought I'm just going to plant this seed and we'll see what happens. Maybe five years down the road, they'll come back. They'll come to me and be like, holy crap, you helped me wake up. So I also live in, I was living in a small town. Uh, they publicly announced it at the Kingdom Hall because I had to write, we wrote a letter. The, they then wanted to come talk to us. The brothers wanted to come talk to us. And I just said, I don't need to have a discussion. I actually, it was so emotional for me and emotionally draining that I just was like, I cannot sit here and discuss this. I have thought about this for months. I've discussed it with a very small group of people that were not in the faith that had been like my father and my sibling. I hadn't talked to JWs about it because I knew that I couldn't. And so I didn't feel there was any need to debate it with anyone. And I didn't feel there was any need to justify. I also didn't want to give them any, like they'll take notes on any meetings you have with them. And I didn't want that anything in like my file, my JW file. I just didn't want it. I wanted to control the narrative. So I did. Yeah. So basically what they do is they announce um, and they say... Uh, so-and-so is no longer a Jehovah's Witness, and that's it. 
Oh, okay. So there's and, no negative connotation? Well, or? I mean, everyone knows what that means. Okay. I mean, if it's a single person, another single person, you know, they've, they've screwed, um, basically. If it's... Everyone knows everyone's business. That's the part of the problem. And with us, I mean, I think it was quite a shock to everyone. Nobody saw it coming. And that was good in a way because I, you know, I was able to share that to the people that saw it and, you know, did delete me. They read it. They know why I left. They still probably think I'm crazy. And my mother used the word misled, that I had been misled. And I said, no, mom, like, you've been misled. I'm sorry, because I know how this feels. It's quite devastating, but it's the fact of the matter right now. I'm really, I'm sorry. Have you, did you ever try to present the information that you yep. had to, to your mother? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she, she would, she sent me articles, JW articles, counter, countering it because that's how they did. So they do. Yeah. So it's almost like falling on completely deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And I like, my only hope is that one day down the road, the people in my life that were important to me that read what I had to say that night on Instagram before they deleted me, have their own awakening if they ever do, that they'll remember me and that they'll, you know, I will always be there for them no matter what, because I know how hard it is to have this happen. You, you don't know who you are anymore. Like you lose a part of yourself, a huge part of yourself, part that, you know, made you who you were. You know, now I walk through my town and pretty much anytime I would go out to the grocery store or ride the ferry or walk the beach. I've run into, I would say six to 12 JWs each time I would go out. I get, depending on who is, dirty looks, quite dirty looks. I would get the occasional smile, but generally they look through you like you're a ghost, like you don't exist. So you've been out of the religion now for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. What is it like now? Like, because I'm sure this dust has sort of settled and especially with the emotional loss of all of these friends and families, you're sort of at a calmer place now. What is your social life and your emotional support circle look like now? So we knew we would leave. So we started kind of reaching out to people ahead of time. I will say that one thing I'm very grateful for is that the XJW community in Vancouver, where I live now, it's quite friendly and we have meetups that we hold every couple months. We'll meet in a restaurant. We'll spend a couple hours and just chat and catch up. And I've made some friends. I did have people that saw my post, a couple of people that I knew, not many that reached out and said, Hey, I feel the same way. And I was like, if this wakes one person up, I'll be okay. And it did. We had people that came out of the woodwork and I have a really great friend that I was friends with in when I, since I was 12 and he and I have reconnected and he had the same feelings. And my, one of my best friends from elementary school, I've reached out to her and we've reconnected and we picked up where we left off and it's fantastic. And I have another really good friend and she left right around the same time as I did, not as publicly as I did, but she's left. Um, so I definitely feel that my fat, my social circle is uh, quality over quantity now. Before I had a lot of friends, acquaintances. Um, I was always looking for like that best friend person. I never had it. I was always, I never always felt like I wasn't good enough somehow because I never had that bestie. Um, but now I have a couple really great friends who I know I can call on when I need help. And believe me, I do right now. <laughs> and I do call on them and they're there for me. And, you know, one thing that you have to realize when you leave that kind of a religion is, you know, you're taught your entire life to not trust the outside world. And I had to learn to trust everyday ordinary people again. 
and learn they weren't bad and they weren't all going to be out to hurt me. You know, there are bad people everywhere, but you know what? There are some pretty awful JWs too. And you have to be selective no matter what. There are good Muslims. There are good Christians. There are good atheists. There are bad ones as well with everybody. So yeah, like I just, the whole thing proved to me that I am really, really strong because I lost everyone around me aside from a hand, very small handful of family members that I was not close with. I wasn't close with them. Um, you know, it was definitely a moment of like serious courage because it would have been easier for you to just continue to block out any sort of critical evidence and stuff like that and continue with the faith. Like it takes courage to question things. Definitely. Right. So that was a huge character building experience. Huge. The last few years have been like, so, I mean, that's changed me. And, um, definitely it was very, I, you had to, I had to put my big, big boy pants on and just like do it because once I knew I couldn't unknow it. And the thing is, is that happens when you're just about 30 and you know, you have all these years of experience in life that you've missed. I never dated. I mean, I'd been with, you know, two people physically my entire life. Like I never smoked pot. Didn't ever drink when I was underage. I rarely got drunk. Like I just, not not those things. I don't even care now. Like I don't feel like I missed it, but like all those things in life, you know, I don't, I can't relate with a lot of people on. And that's hard. Just going off of that as well, uh, as we close this interview, I wanted to give you some time to sort of describe your projections for your future and where you think your life is going now, especially you haven't been out of the religion for that long. It's only been a year and a half, but where do you see yourself, let's say in five years or 10 years? And what sort of experiences do you think you want to experience now that you're on the other side of that restricted lifestyle? Well, after leaving the religion, I also ended my marriage. So there are a lot of definite things I'm hopeful for in the next while. (laughs) I want to fall in love. (laughs) You know, I've started dating and it's like a very surreal experience because I never, ever got to do that before. Living my life without shame and guilt is so huge Mm. and allowing myself to make a mistake and not beating myself up for it for days or months or years and trying new things and trying new people. And that's okay. And like just seeing what's out there in like It's very intimidating at first, but I'm finding who I am and who I am does not have to be far from who I was. It just can be a little bit different. I am maybe a little less stuck up and judgmental of other people. Mm -hmm. I still believe a lot of the things I believed in right and wrong. And now as I do, as I did then, it maybe is a little less, a little more lenient, but I mean, I really look forward to building new traditions with my daughter and the holidays and in life and, you know, raising her away from the doomsday cult that I was raised in and letting her just live her life and not have to sit in church and be quiet and go preaching and do things she doesn't want to do. And, or, you know what? And no parent should be told they can't love their kid for making a choice that they feel is right. Mm -hmm. I did what I felt is right. And I've always done that. And I always will do that. That is my character. Unfortunately, what I felt was right was leaving my faith because it was proven to be wrong. That, that is me. No, no. My mom will say now that I changed. That's, that's, I've never changed. That part of me will never change. I'm always, I've always been that way. I always will be that way. And I still just want to be the best person I can be. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at the world through her eyes and see the, you know, the simple joy and simple pleasures and things. And, 
you know, she can figure learn who Santa is. And, you know, for me, it's weird, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing it through her eyes because I never got to. Like a second childhood. Yeah. I never got to do it. And the other part of that is for me personally is finding someone, I mean, eventually, hopefully a, a great companion for myself and real love and feeling that actual connection with somebody because I know now that I never had that with my husband, which is sad. Yeah. It's very sad. I gave 13 years of my life to that person. Yeah. And we had a tumultuous relationship. It was not peaceful by a long shot. No, no relationship was perfect. And I definitely had a part to play in it. No doubt about that. But uh, the right thing is never easy and it's going to continue to be hard. Um, but it's also lighter. Life feels lighter now. Yeah. There's not that heavy weight on me about preaching or not doing enough in the church or not saving enough people or not going to the meetings and feeling like crap on myself because I was just so tired that I just couldn't get dressed and go to the meeting that night. We have we work full-time jobs and I have a, a kid and like that's life. The option would be like, let's cook dinner or let's go to the meeting. Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to cook dinner. Like that's yeah. just, I got to do that. And so I live my life now without that burden and it, yeah. it's lighter. Life is lighter. And, but it's heavier emotionally because I do a lot of it alone. So there's give and take in that, but I'm optimistic for what the uh, next few years will bring. And I'm hopeful and I'm happy that, you know, my daughter gets to grow up without the being confined in this religion and she can figure out who she is. And you know what, if she decides she wants to be a Christian, then I love her. If she decides to be an atheist, I love her. If she's a lesbian, then I love her anyway. Like, yeah. you know, I don't care. Yeah. If she's vegan, I'll love her too. Like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, you know, I don't yeah. care. I don't care. Like, just be yourself. I'll love her no matter what. I have put myself in a position now that I don't, I'm never going to have to cut her out. That is a good feeling. So for me, so, um, so there's a couple great, uh, sources that I found when I was leaving and I'll just mention them quickly. There's a couple, uh, on YouTube. So John Cedars, his name is Lloyd Evans in real life. He was in JW for a very long time raised in it. He's in the UK or he was in the UK. He's now in Croatia, but he has videos out several times a week and they're so well researched and they're so informative that anyone who's like questioning now he's an atheist. Okay. So that you don't have to agree with everything that he says, but the points that he brings out, he has evidence to back them up, legitimate evidence to back them up. And I find that it's really Really, it was really important for me when I was waking up because I needed a good source. And so he was really, really, really um, instrumental to my waking up. Um, Leah Remini also, she did a TV show series about Scientology. She did an episode, a special episode about JWs. Lloyd was actually part of it. So that was really, really cool. It was a really good special. I encourage anyone who's interested to watch that. Reddit, as I mentioned, has a fantastic XJW community. If you're in Vancouver, we've got an XJW Facebook group that we post our meetups on and we love to meet new people all the time. And um, just anyone who's a JW, if you're listening to this, probably not, but if you are, don't be afraid to think for yourself. You have a brain. God gave you a brain. It's there to use it. Use it. And the truth will always be the truth, no matter what. You cannot disprove the truth. So that's one thing I could say to somebody. Okay. Thank you so much, Megan. And that concludes our interview. 